You know what else it's time for? A nap. Cake. That or too. an episode. <laughs> or cake. An episode about cake? I wish. I should have done it's an episode your about episode. I'm Tiffany and I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. I forgot I started the show for a second there. Eh. You clapped and I was like, anyone? Anyone? (laughs) And and so you could have said nothing. I would have edited out the pause and would it have sounded like you were on top of your game? Would it it have? I don't want to hear it. You you heard the bloopers (laughs) I pulled from the last episode, okay? Would it it have? Hey guys! Hi, what's up? Uh, not my serotonin. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Well, uh, they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and I'm pulling an Ashley today, so hopefully that'll help with your serotonin. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I'm a fucked up individual, so that could be bad for my serotonin. Let's see, Richard Leonard Kukli. Kuklinski. Oh, yep. She is pulling at me. She can't say her own topic. Good job. <laughs> Kuklinski. Kuklinski. Yes. Anybody know of him? Cuckoo clock. Did he make the cuckoo clock? He did not. Born April 11th, 1935 in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Jersey City, New Jersey. I don't know why that was so funny. In uh, Jersey. <laughs> wow. Kuklinski. Richard Kuklinski. Kuklinski. Yes. I listened to a bunch of stuff about him today, and as soon as I started talking, my brain was like, how do you say that name? You don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) Except for he's the subject of today's episode. We don't need it. Fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He was the second of four children born to a Polish immigrant and an Irish immigrant, and his family life was not great. Father was an abusive alcoholic or who worked for the railroad. His mother was a very strict Catholic woman. I'm going to take a, a stab at it and say that he murders people. Good job! <laughs> He's already checked so many boxes. What, what give it away? The alcoholic father or the super strict the Christian mother. religious mother uh immigrants for parents born in the 30s in Jersey I mean born in Jersey in general would be oh <laughs> um he's checking a lot of the boxes already he is he is I'm uh, just waiting for you to tell me he hurt animals his mom worked in a meat packing plant <laughs> so his father was a terrible person after his father died they asked him did you go to the funeral he's like i didn't like the son of a bitch when he was alive why would i go visit him when he was dead fair enough his older brother at the age of eight passed away they said he fell down a flight of stairs but everybody believes it was his father shortly after that his father ran off he started um burglarizing to feed himself because his mom was you know working and trying to take care of three children and he started to at an early age kill stray animals huh what Mm -hmm. an interesting factoid I mean, I, so spoiler alert, this is not a good guy. If you had a list of like murderer 
treats. Thank you. Uh, so like precursors. precursors. Take this BuzzFeed list to figure out if you're a murderer. Exactly. Yeah. Is Robert checking all of them. Kuklinski would check all of them. So his mom was also pretty abusive. He said in an interview that she would just beat him with a broomstick. Hmm, sounds like a just wonderful because- religious woman. I did say he was an altar boy, right? Yeah, he grew up with a like disdain for religion. No, you just said she was devout. Oh, yes, he was an altar boy. Something about like, how could God allow this to happen? I don't believe in this religion. You know, the, the general shit childhood. But he had to resort to burglary or didn't have to, but he resorted to burglary to, you know, it started off as like to feed myself, to take care of my siblings. And then it just kind of became a hobby. He was a tall, lanky, awkward child who didn't have many friends, which meant he was the subject of being bullying quite often. Being bullying? Being bullied. Is that how it... (laughs) Words are hard. Being bullying. I don't Um, know if that means that he is a bully. No, he was bullied for a while. But by the age of 13, he said, enough with this ish. And he had a certain particular bully. There was like a group of kids that bullied him. The ringleader, I guess you could say. One day, Kuklukski was like, F this noise. He took the bar out of his closet that holds the clothes and like waited for the guy by his house and when he came around the corner just like Swap. beat the crap out of him why didn't the- he use his mom's broomstick because she was busy with it <laughs> <laughs> one of the other siblings were acting up yeah so he just like tore into this guy and the next thing he knew he was dead so he pulled out his teeth and cut <gasps> off his fingers and threw his body over a bridge at 13 13 years old this is in the like fifties, forty eight. When did I say he was born? Thirty five, I think. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, thirty five. So forty eight. Uh. He pulled out his teeth, cut mm-hmm. off his fingers. You gotta get rid of the identifying features. Were we even doing dental records at forty eight, early fifties? I oh. don't know. I was playing Barbies at thirteen. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said at thirteen. I'm like, woman, you were not alive. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. I do. We did past life regressions. I, in this being, may not have been alive. Fair. Now, having said this about his first crime, or his first murder, elsewhere, he said that his first murder was years later in a pool hall, but he gives differing accounts, so we'll get into that later. But he also went and beat up the rest of the gang. He, I mean, why not? It was at that point that he was basically like, what did he say? He said that, Quote, and that's when I learned it was better to give than to receive. Oh. Um, quote. Well, righty then. So at that point, he was like, oh, I don't have to take crap from people. And he started hurting people for no reason, kind of. It's one of those things where if somebody made him feel bad or challenged his authority, he would beat them with a pool cue. Other people's lives didn't really matter. In one interview, he said his first murder again, this is where he gives differing accounts, was in a bar fight. Quote, I hit him with a cue stick a few too many times and he died. I felt very bad. Very, very bad. I was upset. I didn't mean to do it actually. But surprisingly, I felt sadness. And after a while, I felt something else. It was sad, but with some sort of rush that I had control. End quote. Well, that's terrifying. I don't feel so bad about my uh, fast food coping mechanisms at the moment. Right. (laughs) Girl, hard, same. 
So this point, he is still uh, burglarizing. He's kind of running his own little crime posse, just like neighborhood kids and all. But in the 1960s, or it was 1960, sorry, he met Barbara Petrin and he fell head over heels in love. She said that he was considerate and romantic and he kept pursuing her. At one point, he said something like, you're mine, I can't live without you. And she was like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) And at that point, he held a knife to her back and said, I can't live without you. Okay, now that's when you really should have said, no, I'm good, right? I'm good, brah. But uh, no. She has in one movie I watched, which join us on Patreon to find out how I was not supposed to be spending money. And Rebecca told me not to spend $4 to download this movie, but I did. But in the interviews I watched, she made it seem like they had this very romantic relationship. All American, she said. Um, When he was home, he was everything you'd ever want in a husband. He was all about devoted to the family and didn't ever want to leave on road trips or business trips. But in other interviews and in other sources, she said there was good Richie and bad Richie. Good Richie was a hardworking provider, affectionate father, loving husband, wanted to spend time with the family. They would go to Disney World all the time and always buying them expensive gifts and taking them on trips. What did he do for a living? She said he was a businessman and she didn't ask what that meant. She didn't ask questions if he had to leave in the middle of the night because if she had asked, he would have said, uh, it's none of your concern. So why ask? <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't live in the 60s. <laughs> I would have been so murdered. Well, there was good Richie. There was also bad Richie. Bad Richie showed up randomly. Like it wasn't constantly like he was here every couple weeks. It was like he'd be here for a couple days in a row. You wouldn't see him for months, blah, blah, blah. Bad Richie was abusive and neglectful and never hurt the children. He made it a point to never hit his children. Oh. He was very emotionally abusive though. He had three children with her and he had one daughter, Merrick, who was like, his favorite child i guess um apparently she got sick early on and like it really tore him up so like there was some deep bond but he would always favor merrick and apparently when she was pretty young he told her if anybody ever finds out what i do i'm gonna have to kill the family you would be the hardest one to kill what no what now yeah not a good guy just (laughs) throwing that out there huh I was getting totally different vibes. Yeah, he like broke Barbara's nose a few times, held her at knife point. That one we knew. Yeah, well. That's how their relationship started. So romantic. Beyond the proposal. Some people are into knife play. Truth to that. Not in the 60s, though, because women weren't allowed to say they liked things. So I told you he's got a family now. He's got this wife and three kids, this very loving, wonderful, idyllic family. He had an eighth grade education, though. He dropped out in eighth grade. He couldn't find a job that would provide for his family. Is that about the time that you turned 13? Yes. Yes, it is. He couldn't find a job making decent money to support his family. So at that point, he turned to some mob activity, but not like offing people. He was selling bootlegged pornography. Not like what? Offing people. Okay. That's what I thought you said. (laughs) I don't know why that was so cute. It just sounded so innocent. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. I don't use that word often. Meanwhile, I'm stuck on bootleg photography. Pornography. Pornography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It was the 60s. 
It's not like you could go download it off the internet. You had to go to a movie store. I don't even think they had movie stores in the 60s. The theater. You had to go to the red room behind the red curtain. So he was working doing bootleg pornography. It was run by a mob. Through that, he met some, you know, interesting folks. Now, when you say doing bootleg pornography, was he like filming it? No. Or just trafficking it? Like, yeah, he was. That's not a good word. No. Creating the tapes. Pushing it. Yeah, and pushing it. He was working in a warehouse doing the actual like bootlegging of the movies, videos. So, like piracy in the 1960s. Yeah. But for a pornography. He was a porn pirate. So, as we learned, he's not a good guy. A lot of the murders he is going to start committing because, yes, he commits a lot. Spoiler alert. He met through trafficking porn. He was around this time. He was once arrested for passing bad checks, but there was nothing really that came of it. Through this bootlegging, he met Roy DeMio. Roy DeMio was part of the Gambino family. Have you ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? And... He borrowed some money. Whenever they came to collect, they were impressed by how well he took the beating. This is Richie? Yes. Okay. So he met Roy, found out he was part of a bigger family, and then borrowed money from the family. Yes. The Gambino family. Okay. When the Gambinos came to collect and he didn't have it, they beat him. He took it like a champ, and they were like, oh, this 6'5", 300-pound man knows how to take a beating. What happened to Tall and Lanky? 6'5"? Yeah. 6'5". 6'5". Okay, that tracks for 300 pounds. Yeah. It's, that's still a big boy. It's still a big boy. He's not a little guy. And whenever you like see pictures of him and like watch interviews of him, I'm like, oh, you are what I picture from a mobster. He just sits back and he like has this way of talking where he's just like. Yeah. So you know how you are with cults? Yeah. That's how I am with the mob. Yeah. No cults, no mobs. What about a mobby cult? No. We could be together. No. Oh, best friends. Best friends forever. Oh, God. Rebecca's taking on the role of no mobs, no cults. So they were like, this guy, he's got some cojones. They asked him to start helping collect debts and noticed that he had no qualms with somebody wasn't paying up, just offing him. Like, it's nothing to us. You pay up. You're swimming with the fishes. Exactly. Because that's a great quality to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, in multiple ways, no. Because, I mean, if you just off them, you're definitely not getting your money. True, but you're sending a message to everybody else. Yeah, see? Yeah, and I've heard that's what it's all about. Just sending a message. I've heard. That's what it's all about. (laughs) So that's what he did for a while. Once they realized that this guy's good with offing people, he became a contract killer. Oh, nice. Not nice. Not interesting. Uh-uh. I am not intrigued. Don't go on. Nah. <laughs> Subtle, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think anyone got that. No one caught that. No uh-uh. one will notice. Surely. So Robert Kuklucki, here's the thing about him. We're going to get into what he was charged for. Robert? But she called Richard. him Richie? Nope. It's Richard. Why did I say Robert? I don't know. Because there's a Robert name in front of me. Nope. De Niro. De Mayo. Richard. De Mio. Richard <laughs> Kuklucki. Oh, my God. Okay. I was like, I thought his name was Richie. How did you get Richie from Robert? Richie. The thing- That's how I just picture his wife talking for some reason. Mm, Richie. The thing about him is what he was charged for, we will get to, but most of his crimes, he confessed to 
in prison. There's not a lot of accountability. There's no way to verify. There's no way to like say if he said, okay, I killed these 100 to 200 people, which is what he says he has killed. There's no way to say, oh yeah, those people are gone or we found the bodies or here's this, here's that. Because the mob's got the power. Well, it's either the mob has the power or a lot of people believe that he's just like making up a lot of stuff because he doesn't give too many details. He doesn't give too many names. He's just like, oh yeah, I off these Georgia guys when I was driving through and they were giving me kind of road rage. So I got out, popped out my 357 and they didn't stay. You hear her little accent coming out there. That was pretty cute. Thanks. Um, I'm just sitting here going, that isn't like Atlanta rush hour traffic now. Right. right? <laughs> but that is a true story. And they were did find the Georgia bodies, but they can't confirm it was But him. he's not going to give names and he's not going to give details because if he's working with the mob and he gives names and details, then he's dead and his family's dead and anyone he's ever cared about is dead. So he's not going to give details. Very he's true. probably just like, no, I'm good. I've been caught. Y'all know that I had association with that family. I'm not going back out there. I'm just going to chill here. Yeah, I killed two people don't release me it's fine <laughs> so richard kuklucki this is such a fun name to say said that he got a lot of his inspiration and a lot of the things he did from robert prong and robert prong is also known as mr softy because mm, he used like to that <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's because he used to drive a Mr. Safi ice cream truck. Yeah, don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't make it better. He taught, he supposedly taught Kuklucki about cyanide. And cyanide is, or was Richard's favorite way of offing people. Here are a couple ways he used to do it. So his methods of killing included shooting, stabbing, strangling, poisoning, beating, hand grenades, and his favorite... <laughs> Yeah. His favorite was a nasal spray filled with cyanide. Oh! That went from like K, K, K. Whoa. Here's what he said about cyanide. nasal spray? I don't even like doing saline up my nose. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure no one likes cyanide up their nose. (laughs) I don't. Have you ever done it? You might. No. So he said when it came to cyanide, quote, you can put it in liquid form. You could bump into them like you were drunk at a bar, spill on them, and leave. Meanwhile, it's soaking into their skin, and eventually they'll die. And people wonder why I don't leave my apartment. <laughs> so back to Robert Prong. Yes. Uh, he's supposedly the one who taught all of this to Kuklucki. About the cyanide, that you can just bump into someone and kill them with cyanide. Yes. I watched a video to see how many almonds it would take to make cyanide the other day. I love sorry. you. <laughs> I love you. So he ended up parting ways with Prong when Prong asked him to murder his ex-wife and son. Kuklucki's not a good guy, but he did have a rule. No women or children. Oh, well, ain't that sweet. He just abused his own. That's fine. Right? Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, no, that's not good. <laughs> so Kuklucki refused. And whenever he refused, Mr. Softy was like, you need to do this. I know where you live. Well, you don't threaten Richard's family. Mr. Softy was found dead in his ice cream truck on August 10th, 1984. Let's move on to a victim of his named George Malaband. He was a business associate of Mr. Kukuksky. And um, so he was in the porn business too. Well, by this point, 
Richard was out of the porn business and he was just that's right running full time contract yeah contract killers I did read somewhere that he had his own little gang of hoodlums I guess but that was early on he was mostly working with the mob at this point when they were riding together it was February 1st 1980 they were riding around and at some point Maliban threatened Kukluxki's family of course Maliban didn't know this because if you knew this you wouldn't have done it but you don't threaten his family it's like his one thing you don't do he said his family had no clue that what he did they had no clue about his lifestyle like he kept his family very separate they didn't get involved nobody knew where he lived well apparently some people did say obviously someone did but when this happened he pulled out a 38 revolver and shot him in the chest five times oh so i forgot to mention earlier his methods of disposal so let me just do that real quick. You mean removing fingers and teeth before dumping the body off a bridge? Well, that is part of it, but... That's stuck around all these years. Mm-hmm. You know how most killers have like a specific MO or like a specific pattern you mean to... mean like removing teeth and fingers and throwing <laughs> the body off a bridge? Yes. Or having like one method of killing. Well, obviously Richard had many. It's whatever struck his fancy at the moment. Also had many different methods of disposal. Quote, you throw it away. You put it anywhere. It all depends if you want it found. You could bury it. You could put it in a big drum. You could put it in a trunk and have it crushed. You could leave them on a park bench. End quote. He never really had any particular method to how he got rid of them. It's just whatever struck his fancy at the time. I mean, that's less likely for you to get caught. Right? If you don't do the same thing over and over. Leaving them on the park bench, if you poison them with cyanide, if it was before they knew to test for cyanide, might not be a bad idea because they probably assume they just died of natural causes. Well, so when he was younger, he would go to the West Side in New York City and test out different methods of murder on homeless no the cops didn't really look into it because they just thought the homeless were murdering each other he kind of knew how to get away with stuff well yeah and he's been a killer for how many years at this point this Uh, is you said was in the 80s yeah at this point we're in the 80s so 35 40 years yeah no big deal his buddy george he stuffed in a 55 gallon drum his buddy yeah they were business associates oh okay Mm -hmm. that's not a buddy (laughs) (laughs) it's not quite how i would send one of you off but that's fine yeah what I wouldn't put your bodies in in drums. No, no. we've already discussed. You know how to get rid of a body. It's Mm -hmm. fine. At this point, this was his first mistake out of many years of murdering. This was the first time he got kind of sloppy because the body was found near a Chemitex chemical plant in Jersey City. He had cut the tendons of the legs in order to force it in the barrel. Nope. Mm Mm-mm canceled i mean you've got to fit it in the barrel somehow error rebecca not found (laughs) this wasn't the first time he put somebody in a barrel Um, (laughs) obviously but this was the first murder to be directly related to kuklinski because malibin's brother had told the police that he had been on his way to meet kuklinski the day before he disappeared so they were like oh you were the last person to see him alive you're kind of a person of interest previously he'd put somebody in a barrel it was paul hoffman so yeah, this is the first guy, George Maliban was the first guy tied to Kuklutsky, where they were like, mm, this is suspicious. In 1982, Paul Hoffman was a 51-year-old pharmacist. He was trying to get rich quick, I guess. There was a drug that was like a hot commodity that he was going to be able to get pretty cheap from Kuklutsky. So he brought $25,000 in cash with him. It was called Tagamet. It was a popular drug to treat ulcers. So he's going to sell it through his pharmacy. And he showed up to Kuklutsky 
and was like, I have the cash here. Let's do this. Kuklecki said, sorry, we don't have it, the drug, but thanks for the money. And put the gun under his chin and pulled the trigger. It didn't kill him. Richard tried to shoot him again and the gun jammed. So instead he just beat him with a tire iron. I was going to say, he has like seven different ways of killing someone. Mm -hmm. At that point, he shoved him into a 55-gallon drum, filled the drum with instant cement, and left it on a sidewalk outside of a corner store called Harry's Corner. He said that he would go visit, go into Harry's all the time and just like go visit and you know, purchase stuff, but like keeping an eye out on the drum and listening out to see if anything happened. He said one day he showed up and the drum was just gone and he kept going into Harry's to see if anybody said anything, but they didn't. So it was out there for a really long time. Where did it go? I, I don't know. The body was How never was recovered. it out there for so long? And this is in Jersey? Hackensack. South Hackensack. It's at the bottom of a lake somewhere. Oh, I want to know what happened to that barrel. Nobody knows. That was in 82. That was almost 40 years ago. Oh, she did not like that statement. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now I'm sad again. Let's talk about more murder. Yeah, let's Please. go for it. One of the reasons he got away with this for so long is anybody who could testify against him, he killed. That's one way to handle stress. <laughs> I mean, fair. What? In the early 90s, Kalinsky's burglary gang which was still kind of going along. His band of hooligans, as you said earlier. Hoodlums. Hoodlums. They were kind of getting some side eye from law enforcement. There was a guy who was arrested within his gang and testified against Kukluski and ended up in protective custody. At that point, Kukluski was like, hey, these two guys, I think they were Gary Smith and Daniel Deppner, two members of his little gang, had arrest warrants out for them. He was like, you guys need to lay low and then this will all blow over. Well, Gary Smith left the motel where he was laying low to visit his daughter and Kukluxki was like, you broke my orders. You've also been talking about getting out of crime lately. I don't like this. At that point, he decided to kill Gary Smith. It was a hamburger laced with cyanide that did it in for him. Aww. Well, at least he's getting creative, I guess. Why you gotta do the hamburger like that? Well, so he was getting creative, and it would have worked, but he grew impatient when it wasn't working quickly and strangled him. <laughs> okay. So when the body was found, instead of dying from cyanide and having a hard time figuring out what happened, he died of a strangulation. So they were like, oh, look, a murder. <laughs> I want you to be a detective just for a day. <laughs> oh, look, a murder. So they were like, shit, we got to get rid of this body. How are we going to get rid of this body before it was found, obviously? They hid it in between the mattress and box spring in a motel. Nope. And people rented the room. (gasps) No. Quite a few people did. A, no, that just doesn't work. B, the smell. Well, the smell is what did it in after a few guests complained about the smell. A few? The motel manager investigated and found Smith's body decomposing. Could you imagine like making the bed and tucking in the sheet in between the mattresses and just like... (laughs) Nope. I cannot imagine, but thank you. Oh, no. Obviously, this guy had a tie to Kuklinski. How do you hide a... I have logistical questions. Rebecca, engineer me. (laughs) Are you feeling okay? No. I'm not. How would that work? Like, that seems very obvious. You can cut out some springs and lay the body in there. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way I can think of it working. You know Why how you can... just put them under the bed? Because somehow... Because you look under the bed. I have questions. 
Why I'm you? trying to answer okay. them. Okay, go ahead. Carry so on. So you know how you can have like a book that you can hide things in because you cut out the inside? Yes, but you don't lay on top of that book and then not... You don't know my mom. <laughs> <laughs> we have met your mom. Osmosis doesn't work that way. <laughs> Correct. Osmosis does not work. Got it. I'm putting that in my future science book. <laughs> Please don't rewrite science. Please do. That's going to be a very special Patreon level to get access to that book. Science, history, and math? No, you're not. I would probably do math. So sorry. <laughs> hmm. I have questions, but go ahead. Daniel Deppner was the other gentleman who was laying low from the cops. But why leave somebody else out there? So Kukwukski offed him too. What, did he like put him in a closet? I don't know how he died. I told you he had a favorite daughter, Merrick. Mm-hmm. Her fiance, Rick... Rich Patterson. <laughs> Ro Rick. I always, rich Rich. I see Rich and I'm like, that's a stupid name. It's got to be Rick. <laughs> and then I remembered that it's not. It's an actual name. Apologies so, to all the Richards or Riches who listen to the show. No, Richard is saying, fine. I'm sorry if you go by Rich. And I just What would you rather you. them go by Dick? Rich just, I like full names. I want to call you Richard. What if their name is Rich? It's stupid. sorry that's why i had an issue because i thought it should be rick patterson but it's not (laughs) so kuklecki's daughter was engaged to rick rich damn it patterson and at some point when they are away kuklecki takes daniel to his daughter and fiance's apartment and kills daniel deppner at the apartment rich helps him dispose of the body Oh, well, welcome to the family. And Kuklowski said, you know, let's just forget this ever happened. You don't say. Well, Kuklowski did tell a friend, an associate, that he killed Deppner. So he didn't, like, forget that it ever happened like he should have. Um, Kuklowski told someone? Yup. That was in February or May of 1983. May 14th, 1983, a cyclist riding down a wooded area. Did you say February or May? Some point between February and May, not... February or May. Okay. Okay. Thanks for, you know, pointing that out. I appreciate you. You're wonderful. Uh, Spotted the corpse in the woods being preyed on by turkey vultures. Medical examiners listed the death as undetermined, but they noticed pinkish spots on his skin, possible side of cyanide poisoning. He had also been strangled, though. Well, that'll do it. (laughs) That's where I thought you were going with the spots on his skin more than cyanide poisoning. You know. For someone who kills people, you think they would have picked something faster than cyanide? <laughs> Maybe that's just like how he finishes it off or it's, starts it. It must have been. But his body was discovered just three miles from Kuklowski's family local hangout. He was the third person found with ties to Kuklinski. Now, this is in 83. He has been doing this since, well, his first murder was in 48. Mm-hmm. So um, he's been doing this for a while. So he's either getting sloppy or one of the theories that somebody said that I really enjoyed. I think it was on one of the podcasts I'll have referenced. But they were like, he either got sloppy or he'd been getting away with it for so long that he just thought he was invincible. Yeah. So, But this man, Louis Masgay, was discovered on September 25th, 1983. He disappeared two years earlier, July 1st, 1981, when he was supposed to meet Kuklinski to purchase a large quantity of VCR tapes. The body was found two years later as if it had died 
just recently, like days ago. This was because Kuklinski, also known as the Iceman Killer, oh. froze the body and left it to thaw, which this is the only one that they like have proof he did, but he said he'd done that a couple times so that it would throw off the timelines of the murder, which would therefore keep him out of the suspect pool. Where did he freeze them? A freezer. Probably a walk-in next to the ice cream. With Mr. Softy. Yep. Hey, that's where he got the idea from, Mr. Softy. Maybe. No, later he said this was on oh. the advice of Robert Prong. <laughs> Did he freeze Robert Prong too? So the problem he made with Louis Maske, he didn't allow the body to thaw completely before he dumped it. <laughs> they just found this like semi-frozen body. Well, like- his heart was still frozen. So the rest of him looked thawed. So they were like, shit, this body's been frozen. And then they talked to Maske's wife who said, oh, these are the clothes he was wearing when he went missing. So it must have been two years ago that he died. Well, he was an associate of Kuklutsky, so this is yet another body on Kuklutsky's radar, or on the police's radar for Kuk- You know what I'm saying. It's fine. <laughs> there are things in here. You talked about murder cases, Tiffany. It suits you so well. Uh, oh, I found stats on that hotel room. 20 people in five days used the room before that body was discovered. What? Is this a rent by hour situation? Do 20 we, people. Do we know when? In five days, that's... I mean, if you think if it's like a two bedroom or two bed, people staying overnight, if it's on the highway during travel season. When did he die? The one in the hotel room? 83. Do we have a date? Yes. <laughs> Are we going to follow that up with a date? <laughs> December of 1982. Okay, so it would have been cold in Jersey. So there's a chance if it was a crappy hotel with, oh, but if the heater was on. Mm-hmm. I still have questions. I'm going to need to see some crime scene photos. So they had very circumstantial evidence on Kuklutsky. You don't say. So they set up a task force. It was local law enforcement agents, New Jersey Attorney General's Office, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. I feel like there was somebody else involved. Well, they had this task force and they nicknamed it Operation Iceman because, you know, they're clever. And they had an (laughs) undercover cop in there and they were trying to hire Kuklutsky as a contract killer. In 1985, they started this. They got this undercover agent, Dominic Polifrone, to go under a pseudonym, Dominic Provenzano, or Provenzano, Provenzano, yep. And Nailed it. they had a longtime friend of Richard Kuklinski, Phil Solomine, and they used him to get close. So it started off small, like the undercover agent purchased a handgun from Kuklinski, and then he was like, Hey, could you supply me with pure cyanide? <laughs> you know, casual. Yeah. Well, Kuklutsky asked him, oh, sorry, asked him this. It was like a tit for tat kind of thing. Ah. Then once they got to know each other a bit, the undercover agent was like, hey, I really need you to take out this hit on this guy. And Kuklutsky was like, yeah, sure. This is how I'm going to do it. Blah, blah, blah. I once killed a man putting cyanide on his hamburger. I killed a couple of rats and he just went on and on about all these things he's done. And it was all recorded. That's what basically got him in. I remember in the interview I watched, he was like, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't mind telling him all of this because I planned off him too. Oh, well, you know, at least he had his ducks in a row. 
one of them obviously took a hard left turn, but he tried. Yeah. Uh, he said that he intended to kill the agent, so he told him everything because he was going to kill him anyway. Why not? December 17th, 1986, the task force set a roadblock and arrested him outside of his home with the information they got from the undercover detective. They actually also arrested his wife because the car was registered in his wife's name and there were guns in the car, but that was quickly dropped. When he was arrested, the way it all kind of fell through was he had gotten this, quote, pure cyanide from the undercover agent, and he tested it on a stray dog using a hamburger as bait. Oh. Found out it wasn't poisonous. Good. He decided not to go through with the planned murder and went home instead, and that's where he was arrested at the roadblock. He did not go quietly. Apparently, in one of the interviews, he said that the reason he didn't go quietly was because they were arresting his wife and nobody messed with his family. He was charged with five murder counts and six weapons violations, as well as attempted murder, robbery, and attempted robbery. He apparently had large amounts of money in Swiss accounts and a reservation on a flight to that country. So he was held on a $2 million bail bond and had to surrender his passport. There were people who gave testimonies against him. Everything that was used against him in the court was um, circumstantial, but he ended up giving up names of people confessing to other murders to protect his family because his family was thrown in there somehow like, you know, we have this on your family, we can do this. So he just gave up. Okay, yes, I did it. Here are some others that I did. Hmm. It was the gun charges against his wife and unrelated marijuana possession charge for his son were dropped in exchange for the confessions. He received two 60-year sentences, one for killing Smith and Deppner, one for Malibind and Magsgay. They were run concurrently, and he was ineligible for parole until he was 111 years old. Oh, hmm. well, he'll be a spring chicken. Well, he's not around anymore, but we'll get to it. (laughs) While he was incarcerated, he gave... Incarcerated? Incarcerated? Yeah. You know that word. He gave a ton of interviews. This man was like a attention whore, I guess. You don't say. I don't relate to him in many aspects, but on this one (laughs) I do. Don't fuck with my family and give me all the love. Uh Uh-huh. He granted interviews to prosecutors, psychiatrists, criminologists, and writers. There have been a bunch of different taped HBO series on him. He was the subject of three HBO documentaries, one in 92, one in 2001, and 2003. There had been two biographies on him, and there was a play based off of him, and there was a 2012 film Starring uh, Michael Shannon and Winona Ryder about the Iceman called The Iceman. But his daughter said in one interview that if the family life had been portrayed that kind, she wouldn't be as messed up as she was. Oh. So not a good family life. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I am going to give you a couple of the quotes he said during the interview. So they asked him, how many people have you killed? Quote, approximately more than 100. How do you feel about killing? Quote, I don't. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't have a feeling one way or the other. I think if I had a choice, I wouldn't. End quote. Don't care for that very much. One thing I thought was cool, or not cool, but interesting is like, there was no drinking or gambling or drug addiction with him. It was just like, killing didn't bother him at all. So it wasn't like he had to fill some sick need. It was right. just a job and a good way to get money. Or right, not good. A effective <laughs> way to get money. I mean... Mm-hmm. It worked for him, I guess, but there had to be something else 
uh, for him to be that numb about it. I mean, a lot of the people he has claimed to murder, he said he didn't like their attitude. They reminded him of his father. He had a pretty fucked up childhood, which led to... <laughs> I was expecting him to be like, he had pretty valid reasons for for what he did. Now, he said, uh, quote, nothing haunts me. No murder haunts me. Nothing. I don't think about it. If I had a choice, I'd like to be different than what I am, but I can't change history. End quote. Well, you had a choice. You just chose the way you went. Did you ever use a chainsaw to cut somebody up? Quote, to cut someone up? Yes. Not to kill them. End quote. It's a very messy way of going about it, though. Apparently, he charged at least five figures and not the lower half of the five figures. Uh, He charged? For a hit. That's how much he charged. Oh, okay. I was like, why are we talking about how much debt he had? (laughs) He obviously wasn't making that good of money. Right. Oh, okay. So there was one hit that he was talking about. This was the one that had the hand grenade. It was on Christmas Eve. He left to go off someone. and On Christmas Eve. uh Uh-huh. Threw a hand grenade in the car. He came back and he saw something on the TV and the program called it like a mob related incident. And he said, that was the first time I knew I was mob related. And somebody asked, how did you feel? Quote, I was annoyed I couldn't get the damn wagon together. End quote. Because he was putting together Christmas presents for his kids. Uh, For some reason, like tying it back to the kids just makes it that much worse. When he was arrested, though. Other than that one incident we talked about earlier for, like, bad checks or whatever it was, he had no criminal record. In one of the HBO interviews, it was 2001 interview, he confessed to killing a NYPD detective, Peter Calabro. This was in March of 1980. I have a hard time believing he killed someone attached to the FBI and they waited that long to look into it. Well, no, that's when he confessed to it. Like That's what I'm saying. But if he's saying that he killed him in the 80s, mm-hmm. in like 1980, and it never got Soft. somehow tied back to him or nobody made that connection. So a lot of his early crimes that he talks about, he had no connection to because they would just order a hit on him. Like his guy that he was hanging out with, DeMeo, or yeah. DeMeo when they were testing his loyalty to see if he was a good fit to be a hitman, they walked up to this guy on the street and he was like, go ahead and kill that guy over there walking the dog. And he just walked up and shot him. What did he do? Never mind. I don't want to know what he did with the dogs. Well, it didn't say what he did with the dogs. I think dogs were fine. We'll say the dogs were fine. In February of 2003, Kukluxki was formally charged with the police officer's death and received another 30 years to his sentence. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> his <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. A lot of his claims, some people think, are just made up like a lot of the ones he's saying he killed um, when he doesn't give names or too specific of details. They're saying, oh, you just made this up and you're like admitting to things just for the attention. But as you said, if he were really working for the mob, why give out those names? Right. In the interview I watched. Well, and also he may not have known the names. Fair. It could have been, all right, this guy that's in the blue Mustang is going to pull off this road at this time to go to work. Ah, He doesn't need to get past the next stop sign. Yeah. They don't really necessarily give a whole lot of details as long as the check clears. In the interview at the very end, they asked about his family. And this is his quote. I've never felt sorry for anything I've done other than hurting my family. The only thing I feel sorry for. I'm not looking for forgiveness and I'm not repenting. I know I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I do want my family to forgive me. Oh boy. And this is when he gets emotional. I'm not going to make this one. Well, shit. This would never be me. I feel for my family. You see the Iceman cry. Not very macho. But I've hurt people that mean everything to me. The only people that mean anything to me. End quote. 
And when I was watching that, I was like, oh, that's really sad. Oh, wait, no, this guy's a fucker. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awful. Yeah. So in October of 2005, he was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease. Do you guys know what that is? Kawasaki ninjas rule. Um, I've heard of it. <laughs> it's inflammation of the blood vessels. From all the blood pressure of running around killing people for 40 years. Um, Please tell me it's related to cyanide ha- handling. Actually, he was telling everybody he thought he had been poisoned. So <laughs> oh, and who knows if he was or not. So he was still technically... Or no, he wasn't married to Barbara anymore at this point. But she was the closest relative. Mm-hmm. So whenever this happened, he had asked the doctors to make sure they revived him if anything happened. But she was the one who could give that order. I don't think that should be allowed if you're serving a life sentence in prison. Well, she said uh, she signed a do not resuscitate real quick. A week before his death, the hospital called him and was like, hey, do you want to rescind the instructions? And she was like, no, mm-mm, nope. So March 5th, 2006, he died at the age of 70. That is his story. And he was a weird, sick F. Watching him, I feel like when you watch him talk, you're like, oh, shit, like, yeah, you did this. But then you look back at it and at everything and you're like, okay, you may have been making some of this up. But he is, he's a fascinating man to watch. So I highly recommend spending the $4 on Amazon Prime to watch (laughs) his Iceman interview. Yeah. The husband recommended this topic. He recommended it months ago. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll get to it. And then I was looking through my topics and I was like, penis, penis, penis. I need to take a break from those. Look, murder. (laughs) Hello and welcome. (laughs) We are. Uh, That was interesting. Mm -hmm. You touched base on all of my favorite things. I know. As I was going through this, I was like, oh, Ashley, she's going to be so happy. It's a good one. And I even talked about things that happened that I don't like, like kid stuff. But I I got past that real quick. So Yeah, but I mean, considering, supposedly, oh, allegedly, I did it could have been much worse. His younger brother. Oh, this part's fucked up. Hold <laughs> on. Casually slipped my mind the most fucked up reaction we've gotten from her. <laughs> his younger brother, Joseph, in 1970, was convicted of raping a 12-year-old girl and murdering her by throwing her off the top of a five-story building. No. He ended up in prison with his brother at one point when they were asked Kukluxky, like what he thought of his brother. And he was like, quote, we come from the same father, end quote. Well, yeah, but they ended up in prison together before they both deaths. moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could have probably left that one off. I could have, but you jogged oh. my memory. Why not? We're yeah. here. Mm-hmm. This is already a effed up story, so <laughs> why not? But everybody I listened to said the 2012 film The Iceman is a really good story. I'll check or it really out. good movie. Oh, and we're going into spooky season. Spooky. Perfect. That would be a good time to add that one to the repertoire. Oh, and Chris Evans in it. He plays Mr. Softy. Oh. Renamed Mr. Freezy. He's Mr. Freezy in the movie. Mm-hmm. See, I told you it could be Mr. Freezy, especially if it's Chris Evans. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. That was fun. Thanks. I don't know how I hadn't heard of him. I don't either, but you can thank Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate ya. Well, on that note... <laughs> the note of Matthew. Everyone has something that they find odd. <laughs> Let us tell you why it's not. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com, or you can just search for us on Twitter, Facebook, and or Instagram. We're there. 
Um, or you can email them to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash theladiesofstrange. Keep it strange, lovelies. Bye. Bye.